Welcome to another edition of Anthony T's Horror and Wrestling Show. I'm Anthony T. In this edition, I will be talking about AEW's Revolution pay-per-view. I'll give you my thoughts on that pay-per-view. Then I will be having an interview with writer-director Andrew Durand, as we'll talk about his latest film, The Local Boogeyman, which is currently fundraising on Indiegogo. Then... On What's Anthony T. Watching, I will be talking about Scream 5. I'm not going to get into this debate about this film being called Scream. It's Scream 5, period. It's not Scream, it's Scream 5. I don't want to hear Scream 2022. It is Scream 5, everyone. But I will talk more about it. At the end of this podcast. Because I do have some thoughts on this film. But first, the news. Now, one of the things that's been flying under the radar is AMC's upcoming adaptation of Anne Rice's interview with a vampire. Now, if you remember, the book was adapted to a film in 1994. You know, the one starring Brad Pitt, Tom Cruise, and Christian Slater especially as the interviewer, as we're focusing on that part here. We did not need a miniseries from AMC. The 1994 film is perfect. In fact, I would probably put it up there as one of the greatest vampire films ever made. In fact, I didn't even think we needed an eight-pot miniseries from AMC. They should have left this thing alone. But... And I say a big butt here because, seriously, it's a big butt. They've cast the interviewer for the upcoming interview for the Vampire miniseries. And it's none other than Eric Bogosian. Yeah, I know. These people are not happy right now. I can tell because when you go to Eric Bogosian's IMDB page, you will find out he is 68 years old. That means they've gone way off the source material. And I know some of you people who love the book will not be happy about this. And I get it. Don't get me wrong. I probably would not be happy about this neither. But I love Eric Bogosian. I'm sorry. I like the actor a lot. Whether it's in Oliver Stone's talk radio... Or his one-man show, Sex, Drugs, and Rock and Roll. Or playing a villain in Under Siege 2. You know, the Under Siege sequel starring 90s action star Steven Seagal. I love this. Seriously. This is interesting to me. I know you're not going to be happy about it. And I get it. You want somebody young. But still, this is going in a very different direction from the source material. I know. Use Anne fans are now not happy with me because I'm loving this casting. Seriously. I like character actors. Eric Bogosian is a character actor. A very good one. Whether it was talk radio or Law and Order Criminal Intent, he's a very good character actor. And one of the things that I love are character actors. If you can get a good character actor in in one of the leads in a horror film or TV series, I'm willing to be interested in it. Because to tell you the truth, I was not interested in this interview with the vampire miniseries when the first news came out. But now I'm interested. And to add the fact that it has a great character actor in one of the leads... It's going to be a very interesting series, everyone. Seriously. I know you Anne Rice fans are angry with me right now. You guys want everything to the source material. But it's not going to happen, unfortunately. Not with this interview with the vampire. So it's going to be an interesting series. That I can guarantee now. It'll be interesting to see what other things they deviate from the source material as i'm one of those people that like to see things kept the same but this is an interesting take seriously and i would not be surprised if this thing is divisive amongst Anne rice fans as i think this news is but if you put a very good character actor like eric bogosian in one of those lead roles chances are i will be checking this one out
Moving on. Now, this is news I don't want to talk about, but I really have to talk about, because there is two films that I came across of between episodes where I had this WTF moment. Seriously. To the point where I'm going to have to waste time in the news and talk about it, because this is so ludicrous. Seriously, films that pretty much in which the idea must have come from a five-year-old. Because no real screenwriter would even come up with these ideas. Seriously. Case in point, first film, Titanic 666. Now, this is a film that's going to air on Tubi. The production company comes to no shock, as it's from those great people over at the Asylum. Yeah, you know, the Asylum. That company that does not know what a good screenplay is. A company that feels like every screenplay comes from a five-year-old. Or the treatments, at least. Seriously, because this is such a ludicrous idea. Titanic 666. I will read you the film's official logline. 110 years after its namesake's fateful journey, the Titanic 3's maiden voyage will land at the original site of the wreck. Although a faithful replica of the original, this mammoth cruise ship is built with the most advanced technology, ensuring that it has no chance of sinking. Stop right there. When you have it in your log line, no chance of sinking, it's probably going to sink. But I'll continue reading on. But when the Titanic 3 arrives at the tragic site, strange events begin to occur as dark forces from the deep rise to the surface terrorizing all aboard and threatening to repeat one of history's greatest disasters. All from the Asylum. It's like, really? It's like, that's the only thing the Asylum could do is make these stupid movies where they make no sense and they look like they had a five-year-old write the screenplay and try to get some somewhat noticeable names in their film. I just don't get it. Seriously. That sounds so ridiculous. To someone who watches serious films, that's just so, so ridiculous. I mean, I see a lot of bad films, too. A lot of B-movies. But this is just beyond my comprehension. Seriously. If that isn't worse, there's also another movie coming out soon called... Amityville in space. Yes, that's right. The Amityville house is in space. It's bad enough we had Jason go to space. Pinhead go to space. Leprechaun go to space. Now we need the Amityville house to go into space. Seriously. Oh, where are these filmmakers coming up with these stupid ideas? Seriously, they're so mind-boggling. It's like, it feels like the screenwriting is so dumb that they come up with the stupidest stories. I don't like to use the term five-year-olds, but that's what it feels like to me. I'm sorry. Now, this film is slated to be released by Wild Eye Releasing, and here's the plot synopsis for this film. The ultimate battle against the Amityville curse begins after the infamous murder house is exercised from Earth and reappears in outer space in Amityville in space. Are you kidding me? You're going to make a house disappear from Earth and send it into space. I just don't get it with some of these films these days. Who's writing some of this stuff? Seriously. This is stuff I don't want to see. I don't... Don't mind a good, silly B-movie. But this is stuff where I will not see. Seriously. I cannot 
for the life of me see it because it looks so utterly stupid. I don't get it, really, how these films flood the market. I really don't. And I see good independent films don't get releases. I just don't get it, seriously. But Amityville in Space will be out in July 2022. And no release date for Titanic 666. Enough of this, let's just move to wrestling news. Moving on to wrestling news. Cody Rhodes is set to return to WWE. PW Insider recently broke the news that Cody Rhodes is set for a WWE return. No details on the contract, but it's probably a good amount of money. Just, let's face it, it has to be a good amount of money. And good for him, as I don't fault anybody for taking the money. Even though I'm big on All Elite Wrestling, I still don't fault the guy for leaving All Elite Wrestling. Sure, I would want him to stay, but if he's got money being thrown at him that's more than what All Elite Wrestling is willing to pay, I can't blame the guy for taking the money. Now the big question is, will he show up at WrestleMania this year? WrestleMania is happening April 2nd and 3rd. It's about over a week away, maybe a week and a half away. By the time this episode drops, it's probably a week, a week and a half away. So, there's not enough time to put Cody Rhodes into a WrestleMania match. Or is there? As Seth Rollins currently has no opponent for WrestleMania, and still does not have an opponent at this time of recording. Maybe they do something where Seth Rollins doesn't get an opponent at WrestleMania. And then at WrestleMania, Seth Rollins comes out, challenges anybody. And then that's when we get Cody Rhodes debuting back with the company. As he's going to be with the Raw brand when he comes back. So it will be interesting to see how WWE handles Cody Rhodes. Do they debut him at WrestleMania? Do they debut him the Raw before WrestleMania? Do they debut him the night after WrestleMania? If I was WWE and you have Seth Rollins without a match at this point and you already have Cody Rhodes signed, you might as well put on Cody Rhodes versus Seth Rollins at WrestleMania. I know it's late, but at this point, Seth Rollins needs a match. If Seth Rollins is not on one of the nights with a full match, not one of those stupid segments, a match, a proper match, then it's going to be a crime. And I really think Cody Rhodes should debut this upcoming Monday to set up that match. Just have him come out after Seth Rollins holds the program hostage or something and set up the match that way. Because... At this point, Seth Rollins needs a match at WrestleMania, quite frankly. And we're just about a week away from it. So, I think that's what's going to happen. But, I really hope it's just not a segment. Or he just comes in at the end of WrestleMania. That would be kind of cheap. If he just debuts at the end of WrestleMania. Because, seriously, you had the guy there. Have him wrestle his first WWE match back at WrestleMania. He's big. He's popular right now. Cash in on the opportunity. But then again, this is WWE, so I don't know what's going to happen. Switching over from WWE to Cody Rhodes' former company, AEW, on the March 16th edition of Dynamite, Thunder Rosa became the new AEW Women's Champion by defeating Dr. Britt Baker in a very good steel cage match. Definitely try and check that match out over on the TBS app. That is such a very good match. It's on par with their match last year around the same time. As both women work very well together. It's better than the match they had at AEW Revolution. It's a very good match. Definitely check it out. I will talk more about AEW Revolution in a bit. And finally, wrestling news. Remember last episode I told you about this new wrestling promotion called Control Your Narrative? 
and how they teased a television deal. Now we have details of this TV television deal. If we can call it a television deal. Seriously. Because this is something that's not going to be on regular television. This is not going to be something that's going to be on cable. This is going to be on streaming. Now, before I get to where this promotion landed, this is not going to be on Netflix, nor Tubi, nor Paramount Plus, nor IWTV. Control your narrative. Announced that they have an exclusive TV deal with Pro Wrestling TV. That's right, Pro Wrestling TV. I never heard of Pro Wrestling TV. Seriously. This announcement is such a downer. You're teasing a TV deal. I'm not expecting a big deal. Maybe something along the lines of Vice being sports, that kind of level of TV deal. But pro wrestling TV? I would never have heard of this company. This company doesn't even have a Facebook page. They have a Twitter page, but not a Facebook page. So, this is going to be on this streaming service, where it's ad-supported, of course, because... Just what we need, a wrestling channel that's ad-supported. I have no idea what this channel's going to bring. I don't even know what programming this channel has. Except Control Your Narrative Wrestling, of course. This pro wrestling TV, from the looks of it, feels like your typical local independent channel. You know, back in the day, you had Channel 38 in Boston. You had... Channel 9 in New York. All these nice independently owned channels where they just add syndication stuff. This is what it feels like with pro wrestling TV. Because literally, this is where local programming and independent programming go. It's not a big game changer. This is not going to give this promotion any traction. Because if this promotion had any traction, they'd be on a network that someone notices. Not a network where it's starting up. I don't see this promotion surviving. I just don't. I hope it does survive, quite frankly. Because I would love to see more wrestling promotions out there. But this is not a good start to control your narrative. The fact that the promotion looks like it's Something you'd see in an independent wrestling show. And the fact that it shows will be carried on pro wrestling TV. Which is the equivalent of an independent TV station. As this announcement that their TV deal was so overhyped. Because at the end of the day this announcement was just nothing. But them overhyping everything. For it to be a downer, which is a downer because it's not on a major network or a second tier network. It's on a streaming site that nobody has heard of. As this announcement was pretty much a waste of my time. As seriously, don't say, oh, we're going to have a TV deal, then come out and find out it's Pro Wrestling TV. I'm sorry. I just don't like that. That's setting expectations. Then not delivering on them. That is not a good first stop for this promotion. Seriously. But who knows. Maybe this will work. But I'm doubting it. We'll see what, how Pro Wrestling TV does. Maybe it'll be success. And I might be wrong. With that, that's the news. Discussion to your place for the discussion of horror film, fiction, and all that's fantastic. 
Big Weekly Podcast here. The discussion is about the most recent horror and genre films. Intelligent talk on a genre that deserves intelligence. A conversation between co-hosts discussing not only the film, but also the connotation that the directors and screenwriters are trying to articulate. When you want more than a review, listen to Dark Discussions. And speaking of perception, there's just one more scene I want to talk about, which is after Caleb discovers that Kyoto's a robot, Kyoto kind of peels off her skin, showing him what's underneath. Now, wait a minute. I know where you're going with this, but tell me you weren't already thinking this 15 minutes earlier in the film. Exactly what he's thinking at that moment. Which is he's a robot, too. Oh, I considered the possibility. Right, and that's what I like, is the fact that the writers were smart enough to know that this is what the audience would be thinking. We've all seen Blade Runner. <laughs> right. Exactly. www.darkdiscussions.com Wherever podcasts are found. Welcome back. AEW Revolution happened between episodes. And I have to say, this was another great pay-per-view from All Elite Wrestling. All Elite Wrestling continues to put on really great pay-per-views. And that's what you want when you're watching wrestling. You want to have a fun three to four hours watching a great show. Again, this was such, so fun to watch. I had a blast watching Revolution, as this was much better than last year's AEW Revolution event by far. Let me quickly run the results of the pay-per-view. The pre-show had three matches on the card. First, you had Layla Hirsch defeat Chris Statlander by pinfall. Then you had Hook defeat QT Marshall by submission in a very quick match. Then you had the House of Black consisting of Malachi Black, Brody King, and Buddy Matthews defeating Pac, Penta, Oscuro, and Eric Redbeard by pinfall. Then when the main card started with Eddie Kingston defeating Chris Jericho. Jurassic Express retained the AEW World Tag Team titles by defeating Red Dragon and the Young Bucks. Wardlow defeated Christian Cage, Keith Lee, Orange Cassidy, Powerhouse Hobbs, and Ricky Stocks in the face of the Revolution ladder match. Jade Cargill Defeated Ty Conte to retain the TBS championship. CM Punk defeated MJF in a door collar match. Dr. Britt Baker retained the AEW World Women's Championship by defeating Thunder Rosa. John Moxley defeated Brian Danielson. Darby Allen, Sammy Guevara, and Sting defeated the Adrade Hadi family office that consists of Adrade El Idolo, Matt Hardy, in Isaiah Cassidy. And in the main event, Hangman Adam Page retained the AEW World Championship by defeating Adam Cole. This is a very good show from start to finish. Now, matches that you should definitely check out. And the first one, you can definitely go right to YouTube for the buy-in. As literally, this pay-per-view doesn't really start off until... The trios match between the House of Black versus Pac, Penta Obscuro, and Eric Redbeard. That match was very good for a pre-show match. It it was a match that could have should have been on the main card, quite frankly. But literally, with all these other matches, it's kind of hard to fit the match. Onto the main card. But still, this was a main card level match on the pre-show. This is what separates AEW from other companies. They'll give you pay-per-view quality matches on their TV. And now on their pre-show to pay-per-views. That's definitely... That is a match worth checking out. As there was a lot of good action in that match. That match literally went almost 20 minutes. Pretty much... A third of the buy-in. And another thing I liked about this buy-in was the fact that we just had matches on the buy-in. No pre-show videos. No nothing. Just a normal Rampage episode. Which is good. I like to see more of that before All Elite Wrestling pay-per-views, quite frankly. 
having two or three matches before the main card gets you hyped up for the show. It did very well getting me hyped for the card. And it just was like either a good match or great match throughout the night. The card started off with Eddie Kingston versus Chris Jericho. Very stiff match. I liked how both of them worked in the ring. I love how the way the match ended. It really also had some really good, more like Japan style wrestling, which is nice that you need different styles of matches because literally that's what makes matches stand out from each other and ultimately makes it enjoyable. Then after that really great opener, you go from there to the World Tag Team Match. And that match is literally insane, of course. Anytime the Young Bucks and Red Dragon are in the ring together, they're usually good for a very good match. This was the case here at Jurassic Express. This was awesome. It just amazes me that AEW has a great tag division. It is so deep. And you can put any three teams in there and it'll probably be a good match. This was full of high spots. It was entertaining. Never was I bored in this match, as this was fast-paced throughout. Very different from the opening match, for sure. Then you follow up the World Tag Team match with a ladder match. Even more insanity happened. You go from one insane match to another insane match. And literally, in that match... The final thing in that match was Wardlow powerbombing Ricky Stocks on a ladder. That looked sick. I literally thought Ricky Stocks was literally dead. It looked like he took an awkward landing from that powerbomb from the top of the ladder onto another ladder. But thankfully, he's fine. The only injury that came out of that match was Orange Cassidy. As on Wednesday, you could see him on Dynamite in a sling. He'll be out of action for a bit. But it's just amazing. It's just one injury in that match, literally. Considering all the insanity that happened in that match as well. So literally, this pay-per-view had three really insane matches to start off. There's a lot of positives on this pay-per-view. As literally, you could have had easily three or four matches of the night here. But the next really good match on this card was CM Punk and MJF. This is brutal. This is a very bloody dog collar match. I like how the storytelling of the match went. I love the fact that CM Punk came out to his Ring of Honor entrance music. Not the one he came out to in AEW, but his old Ring of Honor music from AFI. That brought back a lot of memories. Remember seeing the DVDs of Old School ROH, him in the Second City Saints. Loved that entrance. And I think that fit perfectly with the story that was being told too. The ending came when when MJF called Wardlow to the ring. He comes down to the ring. MJF wanted his diamond r- dynamite ring. Wardlow couldn't find it. Gave enough time for CM Punk to recover. And hit the GTS. And then Warlow suddenly found the dynamite diamond ring. Left it in the ring for CM Punk. CM Punk uses the ring and pins MJF. I like great storytelling on both the CM Punk MJF side of it. And the MJF Warlow side of it. As it looks like MJF's going into a few with Wardlow now. Another really great moment, probably my favorite and probably match of the night, was John Moxley defeating Brian Danielson by pinfall. This was a very good match. This was intense. Another bloody match. This was intense. Headbutts. Technical wrestling. You name it, this was an intense match. Submission-based wrestling. It was a great match, and it ended when Moxley turned a Danielson submission into a pinfall, defeating Danielson. Then, after the match, Danielson got angry, and Moxley and Danielson continued to fight until none other than William Regal showed up. This was the huge surprise of the night. This really 
was also a great moment on this pay-per-view, as there was no buzz of William Regal showing up on this pay-per-view. But he's in All Elite Wrestling, and that is a great person to pick up. Seriously, if you have a wrestling company, this guy who's been in the inner workings of WWE developmental is going to be a valuable asset, especially if Tony Khan is going to turn Ring of Honor into a developmental brand. This is a great pickup for All Elite Wrestling, and I really can't wait to see what happens. And the those were my pauses of this pay-per-view. Oh, wait a minute. I forgot about one more thing. Sting diving off of a balcony in 2022. What the Literally. In the six-man tag where Team Sammy Guevara with Sting and Darby Allen versus the Andrade Hardy family office, Sting dove off of a balcony, sending Andrade through tables. That was insane. I thought I saw it all in wrestling. Seriously. I never would have had... Sting diving off of a balcony. I don't even think Sting has ever dove off of a balcony in his entire career, to my knowledge. That's just insane for a guy that's 60-plus to do that spot, literally. And finally, he had a very good main event in which Hangman Adam Page defeated Adam Cole. Has had some really good matches during his title run. I know he's been not booked strongly, but he's doing his part in having these very good title matches. And that's what you want. You want your title matches to have stakes and action. And I'm enjoying Hangman Adam Page's title reign so far. I hope they continue. I don't know what they do next with his title reign, because the only way I could think of is maybe after coming off Revolution... CM Punk is probably the only name I can think of right now. I don't know if you want to do Jericho again. You could always do that again. But I really don't know if you want to do that right now. Because it looks like Jericho's still tied up with Kingston and now Santana and Ortiz. As on Dynamite, Jericho turned on Santana and Ortiz to form a new faction called the Chris Jericho Appreciation Society. I am not kidding. That is the name for a stable. But back to AEW Revolution. This was a great show. I highly recommend you pick up the pay-per-view. It has great action, and the four hours flies by. Hey guys, this is Stephen Christina. I'm the founder, owner, creator, and host of Super Retro Throwback Reviews. Are you looking for the best movie reviews, music reviews, video game reviews, and Comic-Con coverage all around? Well, then look no further. Definitely check out Super Retro Throwback Reviews on YouTube and our new audio podcast, the new and improved Super Retro Throwback Reviews Audio Files version 2.0 on the following media distributors podbean google play stitchers soundcloud itunes and spotify every day there's a family struggling with hospital bills to care for their sick child who is fighting an illness there's a woman who is fighting breast cancer and is having trouble making ends meet while paying for their treatment and there are burn victims that are going through treatments to heal their deep wounds. There is a charity in the horror community that helps these people. Scares That Care is an organization that helps families deal with the bills for their child. They help women get the treatment they need to fight breast cancer. And they help people who are dealing with severe burns get the help they need to heal. Scaresack Care is a 100% volunteer organization and 501c3 nonprofit charity that is dedicated to helping these people in fighting real monsters. To find out more information or to donate to Scaresack Care, you can go to www.scaresackcare.org. Every donation helps Scaresack Care fight real monsters. Welcome back to Anthony T's Horror and Wrestling Show. I'm here with the director 
and writer Andrew Duran, as he's here to talk about his latest film, The Local Boogeyman, which is currently funding on Indiegogo. How are you doing today, Andrew? I'm doing good, Anthony. How you doing, man? Good. Something I always ask everyone when they come on my podcast, what made you want to get into filmmaking? Well, I always wanted to get into filmmaking since I was a little kid, but especially because I love the horror genre. But I think it went back to high school, and um, we were doing a project for history class, and it was uh, you could pick any topic, and if you could open up your own museum, what would it be about? And I did a whole um, presentation, you know, with pictures and had like little lights and stuff on um, a horror, a horror movie museum. And I ended up getting like a partner to do it with um, in high school. I don't remember the kid's name, but we were good friends then in high school. It was such a long time ago. And uh, he was he was really cool. And he was like the only other kid in my class that was into horror films. So we just we would talk about it all the time, especially in history class while doing the project. And I think that's. The first time I mentioned to somebody that, hey, you know, sometime in my life, I want to direct my own horror film. And I think it went back from there. The Local Boogeyman will be your third film. Your first two short films, Slaughter Road and Mischief Night Massacre, which you can find both on Facebook and YouTube. The films went on those platforms instead of going the film festival route. As a filmmaker, why did you decide to go that route? It was really because I had no idea what I was doing while I was making those two movies. So I got with a bunch of local uh, people that uh, do a bunch of low-budget films. And um, we kind of all met up through Zoom, and we talked about my first project, Slaughter Road. And uh, we, you know, and I ended up meet, meeting up with them, and we just made the movie. And I learned a lot. There was one uh, one guy on this... Uh, He's done so many um, low-budget films. So he was kind of like, uh, I kind of leached onto him and got as much information as I could. And he was very knowledgeable. And then um, when it came to my second uh, film, it was the same thing. I took a lot of the same people back, and we kind of just did it again. And same thing, I all the information that I could learn from him, I sat and I paid attention. And then I knew it was time to when I make my third film, I was like, this is going to be the one that goes to festivals because you don't really, I didn't really want to go on my first two movies where I didn't know what I was doing much and there wasn't much budget into it and release them to festivals where everybody's going to, you know, there's going to be millions of eyes on them and, you know, people are going to judge their film. I wanted to save that for when I, I knew exactly what I was doing. You're about so, ready to make your latest film, The Local Boogeyman, which is your third film. Tell everyone about the project. Um, so to tell everybody about the local book, uh, the local boogeyman, it, it's about a deputy, um, who's played by R. Lehman, um, who survives a grisly massacre of a, a local family. And 27 years later, he becomes sheriff of the town. But, uh, what happened on that haunted night and, uh, what happened to the people that died in the hands of the killer, uh, caught up to him. And now he has to relive all the horrors that he went through 27 years ago. I've noticed that all your shorts is point are slashers. What make you want to decide to focus all your films on slasher films? I think it's because I, when I got introduced to horror films, well, let me, let me, let me rephrase that. When I started exploring horror films on my own, um, it, there was all, there were all slasher films, Halloween, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So I just think it, it's really something that just kind of leached onto me, and it's my favorite kind of, it's my favorite genre of horror, a slashers. So it's just something I always wanted to make. Have you explored, and uh, maybe in the future, of any other subgenres of horror? Oh, uh, yeah, it's always running through my mind of what other things. I have so many ideas in here, but I try to like <laughs> contain them so I can work on what's currently in front of me but yes uh definitely i think um actually to answer your question anthony my next film uh my next film after local boogeyman is not going to be a slasher what kind of horror film can people expect with the local boogeyman uh you can expect something um fun to watch something brutal lots of blood lots of gore um something that makes you cringe and say oh yeah just a really fun horror film is what you can expect 
You listed on your Indiegogo page that your favorite era of horror films are the 80s. And the style you're going for is an 80s-type slasher film, mm-hmm. which also looks like it with the poster art. What makes you like the 80s more compared to other decades that make this an inspiration for your film? Well, see, what's funny about that is when I got introduced into horror films back in 1996, when I first seen my first ever horror movie I've seen, was the exorcist. So my introduction into horror films when I was little was in the seventies and I loved the seventies. But when I got to explore horror films on my own and, um, you know, sit down and, you know, go through them, it was all in the eighties, uh, Halloween two, uh, night of the, uh, return of the living dead. Sorry. Um, all movies like that. So going into, you know, my first few films, I wanted to keep everything on like a, a timeline of how I got into horror films, except making a film that took place in the 70s, of course, but um, uh, which I'll get to that at some point in my career. But I, I wanted to stay, you know, you know, slasher in the 80s because the 80s is the um, not it's not only that it's my f- favorite era of horror film, but it's the, the era that I explored the most as a kid. Now, will the local boogeyman be a feature film or another short film like your two previous films? Uh, it's going to be another short film, a little bit uh, longer, obviously. Well, this one's aiming at like a half hour film, but uh, in the works, which I, I know I'm not trying to, like I said, I'm not trying to look too far ahead, but um, when it comes time, when I do do my feature, possibly next year or whatever. Uh, yeah. But this one right now is, it's probably looking around like a half hour, maybe 40 minutes. How is this film going to differ from your first two short films? By a lot, this film's going to be different. Um, in my first two films, I didn't have a lighting crew. I didn't have um, an FX crew. I didn't have a makeup crew. I didn't have a, um, a wardrobe crew. I didn't have anything because it was super low budget. Um, and in this film, I'm you know happy to say that I have all of that. So I have all the tools to make a really good, successful film. What made you want to go more ambitious on this film in terms of everything uh for this project i i um i sat down and i think it went back to like um the the process when i was coming up with the idea for the local boogeyman and i said to myself i was like you know what this one i I, i'm real happy with my first two films you know knowing they were low budget and um all that that you know you take into um you take into hold but i was looking at this movie and i said to myself you know with this project, just look. I, I'm going to go all out. I'm going to leave it all on the table, and that way, when it h- hits film festivals, you know, it. I want to present something that people are going to be like, you know, get wowed by, and I can only do that if I up the ante on everything. So everything had to be better for me for this project. What's the script writing process like? A script writing process is always fun to me. That's probably one of my favorite parts of writing films. And I, I, I've heard so many stories. People tell me that's stressful. It's stressful. I like this, uh, the script writing process. I always start. So I don't know if, I mean, probably everybody don't start the same way as me. But I start with an idea. And then I just start to branch off of it. And once I get, you know, my first draft down, I'll read through it a couple times and then I'll go back in and every day I'll go back in and write, go back in and write. And I probably when I'm writing a script, Anthony, I'll wake up early every morning. So probably between 730 to eight o'clock and I will write for three hours. So if I start at eight, I'll finish by lunchtime and then that'll be it for the day. And then throughout the day, I'll just if, if anything pops into um, into mind about the script why it's fresh, I'll, I'll jot it down on a piece of paper or something, or or my notes on my phone. And then that way, for the next day, you know, maybe I'll have an extra half hour to write on my script. But um, for the, this, this script, for the local boogeyman, took me about maybe three months to write. To, well, to, to, to three months to have a complete script, you know, from all my, you know, drafts and everything. But yeah, so it was three months. I, I enjoy the... Um, the script writing process. It's real fun to me, you know, getting up and being creative and writing something. And, you know, while you're writing it, I'm getting like real excited, you know, like, oh, this is going to be cool. I can't wait to, you know, put this on film and like show this to somebody. So what films inspired the screenplay for the film? Oh, 
what films inspire the screenplay? I would say, I don't know, maybe the, I'd say the local boogeyman is kind of unique to its own, but, um, I would say probably a little bit of Halloween, a little bit of Texas Chainsaw Massacre in this film. It's, uh, it has, it has a very serious tone. And so, and those are two of my favorite films. So I think a little bit of those two films rubbed off in this, in my upcoming movie. Now, casting, you have a good cast lined up. You have the first Jason from the original Friday the 13th film, Ari Lettman. What impressed you about Ari as an actor that you cast him in the film? So, when I was talking to Ari, you know, I said, hey, uh, I'm filming this movie in the summer. I have a role for you in mind. And uh, he's like, oh, cool. Uh, he's, a, he's a wicked friendly. Um, he's a wicked friendly guy. If you never got to meet him. He's very like um, high energy. I could uh, describe him as I love Ari. Um, he goes, yeah, he's like, cool. What's the oh, what's the role? Um, so I email him over the script and I, I you know, I, I told him the role of the film. I, I emailed him the script. It took a, uh, it took him a, a few days because he read it and stuff. So it took him a few days to get back to me. And then he, uh, he, when he finally gets back to me, he's like, I love that role, that sheriff. I love the role, that sheriff. You know, I, I can really knock that out the park. And Ari doesn't get much lead roles in films, which I don't know why. He, um, the, the, um, and what made me, you know, extra excited to give this role to Ari was like his passion for the role, like his excitement for the role. Like he was going over like little notes with me. Um, about, hey, what if I do this with the character and do this with the character? And um, I always give um, the actors and actresses, uh, you know, a little bit of freedom to to play with their characters because that's how you're going to get their best work. And he's just so far, you know, talking with Ari and what he's presented to me for the character is just, it's blown me away and I I really can't wait to start working with him. Besides Ari, the film stars (laughs) Trista Robinson from Purgatory Road and Echoes of Fear. And Aline Dietz from The Exorcist. What made you want to cast these two actresses in your film? Uh, I think it was really uh, it was really easy to pick these two actresses. They're both amazing, talented actresses. And uh, to start with Trista, it was the same thing as um, Ari. I, I reached out to her, and uh, she read the script, and she got back to me, and she really liked the script, and she liked the character that she's going to be playing. And um, every time like I've watched a film that has Trista in it, she always kills her role. She is such an amazing, talented actress, and I love watching her on screen. And so when I sent her the script, and she liked the character, which I, I will say without giving away too much, this character definitely like shows is good for her strengths like she's an amazing actress and um so i'll give you like a little um in per- her, like her character in purgatory road which is almost si- kind of similar to the character in this film and i loved her in purgatory road so you know in reading the script and it was like oh you know characters almost kind of resemble themselves in a way you know not fully but i'm like and I reached out to Trista, and I'm like, you know, this is a perfect character for her to play. And she comes back, and she's like, oh, I love the the character, and I'm very excited to play. And I, I just knew right there that she was the one to get for that role. And as for Eileen, uh, same thing. Um, I was going back. That was, um, you know, going back to when I was a kid, and the first film I seen was The Exorcist. So to get to work with Eileen is, is phenomenal. It's almost like a dream come true. And again, she plays strengths to the role that I casted her for. Besides those two actresses, who else is slated to be in the cast? I haven't uh, I haven't really got that far, but I do have um uh, I have Moose, who's been in my last two films. I know he's he's coming back for this one too, and uh, that that's it so far. Uh, that's it as of right now. Um, not to say I will I won't add anybody else. But I'm not too sure yet. But that's it as of right now for um for names. What made you decide to go with Indiegogo compared to other crowdfunding sites? You know, uh, I I know nothing about crowdfunding sites. So um, the number one, uh, two actually, when I was looking up what um crowdfundings to use, Indiegogo popped up a lot. Uh, I seen a lot of other filmmakers using Indiegogo. Because at first I was going to use Kickstarter, and because that's the only one I knew about. Well, I knew about Indiegogo, but like Kickstarter, someone mentioned that to me. But I've seen everybody else that's, uh, you know, 
raising money for their uh, projects. They used Indiegogo. So that was just the one I went with. And um, that's been that's been a very hard process of this so far is the crowdfunding, because usually people do this with a team and they have someone running multiple you know, um, Indiegogo's at one time. But I only have one. But um, Indiegogo is just like the one that seemed, you know, best for the circumstance. You've set a goal for sixteen thousand dollars. Can you break yeah. down what the money is going towards? Yeah, absolutely. Um, sixteen thousand dollars is to pay my actors and actresses. Um, I have to pay um the lighting crew, cameraman, uh, FX crew. Uh, everybody, everybody that's in this movie gets paid. Uh, uh down to the you know crafts or everything. Uh, uh, making making films costs a lot of money. Um, I know. Um, even someone said that to me, sixteen thousand dollars. I was like, yeah, sixteen thousand dollars. But that, you know. Doesn't only secure uh, like the best quality that you're gonna get from a film because I went out and got the I went out and got the best of everything for this movie like um the best camera uh, camera crew in Boston and the you know all that so I mean the money adds up but it, it adds up in a good way but you're gonna get a real good film. What perks can people expect when you contribute to the local Boogeyman Indiegogo campaign? I have lots, uh, lots of cool perks on there. Actually, I just added some uh, like a week ago. Um, I have uh, just added. Uh, you can get signed crosses by Eileen. But um, there's posters on there. Um, I have digital codes for the movie, T-shirts, posters, which I already think I mentioned. Uh, I have eight by tens of the um, actors and actresses in the film. You can buy props from the movie that are going to be used on screen. Uh, there's a lot of real cool things in there. When are you planning on shooting this film? Uh, in, in the summer. Uh, this, this summer. Uh, I don't. It was originally gonna be in June, but that's probably gonna get pushed. So I'm hoping by July or August. August, the latest. What are the release plans for this film? The release plans for this film is straight to festivals. Uh, <laughs> we're gonna film it this year. It'll go into uh post production. And it'll get edited up. And then starting next year is uh, I'll do one full year of film festivals for it. And then um, I haven't yet decided if I'm I mean, I, I don't know if I'm going to do a physical release yet because only the movie's going to only be around 30, 30 to 40 minutes. So I don't know how many people would buy a 30 to 40 minute Blu-ray. <laughs> so um, but there's definitely going to be digital codes. Um, like I uh, said, but yeah, straight to film festivals for this. This is going to sit in uh, the film festival circuit for a while. Where can they find information and keep up to date on the local boogeyman? Uh, on my Instagram um, and on my Facebook. I uh, More on my Facebook, if you can just find me on Facebook, Andrew Durand. Um, oh, I'm sorry, Andrew Munster. That's what my face, uh, my name is on Facebook. I post, you know, all updates and everything there. As, you know, as soon as I know it, I put it up there. <laughs> so... Is that the same for all your films and social media as well? Oh, for, if you want to watch my films, my first two films are on YouTube. Um, Andrew's Horror Show on YouTube. And I have my first two films up there if you want to go back and watch them. And, yeah, that's it. Well, Andrew, I want to thank you for coming on to my podcast. And have hey, a thanks good day. for having me, Andrew. You're welcome. You too, man. Later. Same here. They're coming to get you, Barbara. This is Carrie. This is Billy. This is Mr. Boat. And we are from a podcast from beneath. You can catch us every Wednesday wherever you find your favorite podcasts. You'll find Anthony T's Power and Wrestling Show on these social media platforms on Facebook, Instagram, and the Slasher app at Anthony T's Power and Wrestling, and on Twitter at Anthony T's. Power. You'll find new episodes on DocDiscussions.com, major podcast providers, and YouTube. What's ATT watching this episode? Well, I teased it at the beginning of this podcast that I will be reviewing Scream 5. Why I don't like...
calling this film Scream is because this film is a continuation from the fourth film. It is not a requel. It is not like Halloween. It is not like the recent Texas Chainsaw Massacre debacle. It continues on from Scream 4. I don't get why Paramount Pictures titled it this film Scream 2022. Because this is not like, oh, it picks up 25 years after. Because it doesn't. It picks up right after Scream 4. And you can tell easily because it has the surviving characters of Scream 4 in this film. So I don't get why we need to call this film Scream. It's just ridiculous. This is the latest film from the duo known as Radio Silence. If you don't know who Radio Silence is, they are consisted of three people. Directors Matt Bertinelli... Olpin, Tyler Gillette, and executive producer Chad Villa. They were behind the best film of 2019, Ready or Not. If that wasn't big enough, the executive producer of Ready or Not, James Vanderbilt, and screenwriter Guy Busick were handling the screenplay for Scream 5. So, literally, I was excited because literally everybody from Ready or Not is doing Scream 5 on the production side. And that's good, because this is the follow-up film for Radio Silence, as they've done some really good work, I think. Whether it's their VHS segment in the first VHS film, or Ready or Not, this film already had me right there. And in fact, it's the sequel to Scream 4, which... It's the first Scream film to come out since 2011, meaning pretty much almost 11 years since the last Scream film. So, I was very excited for this film. Hence, why I'm referring to this film as Scream 5. It takes place 11 years after Scream 4. I don't understand why this film got retitled Scream, literally, because you're literally Continuing the story from Scream 4. I don't care if it's 11 years later. It's Scream 5. It's clear as day. It's Scream 5. I don't want to hear this nonsense about, oh, it's just Scream. Just refer to this film as Scream. No, I'm not going to refer to this film as Scream. Hence, I will be referring to this film as Scream 5, not Scream. Anyway, this was a great film. I have to admit, I enjoyed this film a lot. And one of the reasons why it was all pins and Gillette's direction here. They do a great job with the way they direct everything. As this is probably the bloodiest entry in the Scream franchise. By far. I like how they really directed the death scenes here. As they were, I think, some of the most brutal scenes in the franchise including two deaths, which I think are the bloodiest death scenes in this franchise. And it kind of happened back-to-back, practically. If you haven't seen the film, you don't know what I'm talking about. I'm not telling you anymore. But these scenes kind of happened back-to-back. They are literally two of the goriest death scenes. I liked how those scenes impacted this film. Because then it was all bets off. But I'm not going to tell you anything more. You have to see Scream 5. The directors also do a great job with the way they directed their young cast here. Unlike Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the young cast in this film are actually good. They aren't annoying like the people in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I could get into each of the characters easily. I was not turned off. Like how Texas Chainsaw Massacre literally turned me off of every character in that film. It's a combination of very good directing and very good writing. And I like it when that happens. As both the writing and the directing team really made sure that the young cast comes off as relatable and likable, and not annoying. 
it really helped make this film and it really helps establish this franchise going forward. As there are very good performances here. Melissa Barrera, Jenna Ortega, Jack Quaid, all very good in this film. Also, loved the legacy characters that came back. Courtney Cox, David Arquette, Nev Campbell, they're all very good in this as well. I like how the focus was on the newer characters here. It really made this a very entertaining film. and made me want to see this franchise going forward, quite frankly. Because at some point, you're not going to see Arquette, Cox, and Campbell in these Scream films forever. At some point, those characters need to exit the series. And I like how the writers of Scream 5, James Vanderbilt and Guy Busick, set up a foundation going forward for this series. Because that is, I think, one of the best takeaways of this film. It sets a foundation. That you can go back to these characters. They're actually entertaining and likable. And another thing, speaking of the screenplay, I like how they really come up with some shocking scenes in this film. Has some very shocking death scenes and shocking twists. It really made this film great. This is a very good film. This one most likely will be in the discussion of my top 10 films of 2022. Because this is such a very good film. And I'm so surprised that at a fifth film that this is great. I have to say, this is probably the best Scream film since Scream 2. And really, if you're a fan of this series, definitely check this film out. It is great. And I like how the torch has been passed from Wes Craven to Radio Silence. Because I think they can do wonders with the series. As they can help bring this series to a new generation of horror fans. As definitely check out Scream 5. It is such a very good horror film. And one of the best Scream films in the franchise. Next episode will be a normal episode, as I'm going to get a guest on. I know this is WrestleMania weekend coming up, but I'm going to do a separate WrestleMania weekend episode, so I can see a lot of these shows before I give you what I like, what I thought was some of the best stuff of the weekend. The only way I can do it is to watch all these shows, and I can't watch every show in a weekend, literally. I have to take time. So, this is what's going to happen. Episode 75 will be a normal show of Anthony T's horror and wrestling show. Episode 76 will be the WrestleMania weekend show. As I will try to watch at least 9 or 10 shows. As you got the GCW, the collective going on. You got WWE WrestleMania. Ring of Honor Super Card of Honor. Run under Tony Khan. A lot of shows. I need to see all of them, because yours truly has to do at least one segment to WrestleMania, obviously. One segment will probably be my, my overall assessment of the weekend. One segment will probably be Ring of Honor, Game Changer Wrestling, and so on. It's going to take a while to do the WrestleMania weekend episode. There's so much stuff, so little time I have to watch everything. So... WrestleMania weekend thoughts will be episode 76. 75 will be a normal episode as I record 76 along the way. So it could get done faster or it could be a month before you get WrestleMania weekend thoughts. But I will try to be as fast as I can on those. With that one, thank you for listening to this podcast. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and major podcast platforms. Don't forget to like Anthony T's Horror and Wrestling show on social media at Anthony T's Horror and Wrestling on Facebook, Instagram, and the Slasher app. And 
MTT Sour on Twitter. With that, I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. Have a good day. Support indie wrestling and support indie horror.